This webcast is for informational purposes only. The content provided does not constitute medical advice or diagnosis, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The opinions and information provided during the webcast are for informational and discussion purposes only. We do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, adequacy, or currency of the content provided. This webcast is not a substitute for professional psychological or medical treatment, advice, assistance, or services. Should you or a family member need help with any of the matters discussed during the program, please contact a competent licensed professional for assistance. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merrill. This show is for all caregivers, regardless of their age or actually even your age. Children, adult children, parents, spouses, in-laws. If you're providing care for someone, for anyone, then this is your show. Today we're going to be speaking with Chris McClellan, author of What's the Deal with Caregiving? Chris has been a caregiver himself. This is just not something he talks about as a professional. As many of you realize, talking about caregiving is different when you live it. As a professional and as a family caregiver, I have read many, many articles, believe me, many articles and books and blogs concerning what it means to be a caregiver. So I was very surprised to find that I was very touched by Chris's words and the sentiments in his books and in his blog postings. I think you will also find comfort in listening to Chris and in his words. Chris is affectionately known as the bow tie guy, love that term, in many caregiving circles. He has over 10 years of personal caregiving experience and has been an ardent advocate for caregivers and their carees through his caregiving blog, thepurplejacket.com, and his weekly radio show, Healing Ties. Welcome to the show, Chris. Well, thank you, Dr. Merrill. It's great to be here with you. So you write about your journey as a caregiver based on your experiences with your partner, Richard. However, many of our listeners are caring for people of different ages and members of multiple generations. But I found what you had to say about acceptance as a journey quite moving, and I feel it applies to the lives of many of our listeners. So, Chris, would you share with us just some of your description of achieving acceptance as a journey? Well, I think for one of the great things about being a caregiver is that um, we can connect with caregivers no matter what their caregiving situation is. We all have this innate ability to understand each other, even when our caregiving journeys are a little bit different. You know, I, I my partner Richard had uh, esophagus cancer, and I, I've I've talked with a number of care, family caregivers who who deal with uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. And while those roles, caregiving roles, might be a little bit different, we all really understand what we're going through. And that's what's so, in one sense, great to be a part of this vast community because, you know, you can, you can get some, you can get instant help, you can get instant comfort, and you can be there for somebody else and share your experience as well. And that's, that's what this caregiving journey is all about. But I love your description of the journey. I mean, you have people in your journey like riders and hitchhikers. I mean, can you talk to us a little yeah. bit about those riders and hitchhikers? I love those terms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's, you know, along the journey in, a care, in your caregiving role, you, you, and I, you know, it is a journey. We're all on different roads. There's peaks and valleys during the, uh, on the road. And sometimes, um, 
you know, we'll pick up a, we'll pick up a new rider. We'll pick up somebody that, uh, you know, through this vast network that you connect with, whether you can share your experience 100%. And then, you know, that, that there's that hitchhiker, that person that you don't know that all of a sudden comes into your life and they have something to say, say to you that really connects. And you know that, uh, you know, they're passing on their wisdom to you and which makes it important for us to pass it on to others as well, because, you know, we're, we're all in this, we're all on this caregiving journey together, even though the roads might be a little bit different. So, Chris, what is your advice, though, for people who run into hitchhikers or maybe even riders who are not necessarily so positive and so supportive? And they may even, I mean, we see this all the time at Syracare with other family members who disagree with the care that's being given, even though they're actually not involved in providing care. Yeah, that's always difficult. You, know, you, you have to be judicious in, um, in selecting who you want along for the ride because especially when it relates to um, family issues, uh, it, it's so important for families to leave their baggage at the door when we're involved in a caregiving situation. Uh, you can't resolve lifelong issues between parents and children or our siblings Uh, at the time when you're in the middle of a caregiving journey because you have to focus on really what what are the needs of the person who is ill. And I think sometimes, and I know I I learned this lesson from uh, my partner, Richard, uh, you know, as a caregiver, we have to always remember that we're not the ones who are sick. It's the person that we're taking care of that is, and we have to be mindful of their wishes. And that's why you know, personal baggage needs to be left at the door when you're on these journeys. There, there's time to resolve those issues, but not in the middle of when somebody is especially making their life transition. I think those are very, very wise words to just leave the baggage at the door. I, I Especially with siblings, it's very difficult, I think, at times. Um, they come into situations and old issues come up. Um, And it's hard to leave them behind. And then the person, you're right, who's ill gets caught in the middle of that of that conflict and that tension. Exactly. And and sometimes, uh, you know, we're in the when we're in the, you know, those those difficult caregiving days, we we kind of lose sight of, you know, what really is the what really is important here. You know, and we think that we can resolve these these lifelong issues with our parents or our siblings in the middle of this, but, you know, in essence, we really can't. And, the, you know, that's when it's really good to bring in, you know, a third, you know, an objective third person uh, or a mediator, some somebody that can sit, that sits on the sidelines and, and can kind of help the group get back on task and take care of the person who is ill. And, you know, whoever is the lead caregiver in, in, in a family, I, you know, I, I often... And I often suggest to them to you know, make reach out to a an elder care mediator or you know, find a find a counselor that might be able to help uh, mediate the issue because you really have to be mindful of taking care of of the word that I like to use care, but also the importance of taking care of yourself while you're in involved in the caregiving situation. It's 
It's difficult enough emotionally. You don't need the, the additional emotional baggage of trying to trying to resolve lifelong issues that um, in the midst of this. You know, I was working with a family once. Uh, listening to you reminded me of this. And the woman was very upset, and she said, they're all coming to my home, and my husband is there, and, you know, he has dementia, and it's very, very difficult, and they're all going to come in, and I know they're all going to start with these old issues, and and I've asked them not to, but I know they're going to do it, Um, and I, I, I don't know what to do, and I don't know where it came from, but I suddenly said to her, look, go take a piece of luggage and put it by the door, all right, and then by the door, put pencil and paper. And tell them when they walk in, whatever your issue is, write it down, all right? Put it in the suitcase, that's it. We're leaving it at the door, literally, all right? It can't come into the house. Um, and she said, that's really bizarre. And I said, I know, but it might work. And actually it did, because sometimes those really, you know, way out things kind of work. So everyone wrote it down, they left it in the luggage, and at some point later on, a few months later, uh, we dealt with it. But it, we didn't need to deal with it right at that moment. You're right. I love, I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. That is, ter- <laughs> that is terrific. So let's talk about actually two things you brought up. One is your use of the word carry, because mm-hmm. it's a, I, I had never heard that before. What is that word? Did you make that up, or is it somewhere in the dictionary and I didn't see it? What What is that word? Well, actually, no, I did not make it up. On um, on our caregiving journey, I got connected with uh, with uh, a lady by the name of Denise Brown at caregiving dot com. Oh yeah, sure. And, yeah, and you know her community, which is I, you know, it's kind of like our extended family. They. Uh, there was a discussion on caregiving.com a few years ago about, uh, you know, uh, somebody was caring, said they were caring for somebody, but they weren't caring for somebody that they love. So they didn't think the, they didn't like the word care recipient. They didn't like to think, they didn't like the word, uh, you know, uh, carer. So this discussion just started on caregiving.com about what could, what do, who do we call the person that we care for. And that's how the word caree came about. And, you know, for me, it kind of, as I looked at it, and I actually wrote a, a paper on it for in my communication course, uh, you know, the, the community of caregiving.com came together and they decided on this, this word that describes the person that they're caring for. And, and it really bridges the gap between Somebody that you're caring for that you love, uh, and that and versus somebody that you're caring for who you probably who you may not love, and uh, and I take it a step farther. It's almost like those folks who are caregivers by default, where they they end up being a caregiver even though that's not something that they had ever planned on being. So, you know, for me, it's kind of a neutral word that kind of that helps explain who you're caring for. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Chris, when you were caring for Richard, did it change your relationship? Oh, very much so. Uh, I, I, I often, and I'm sure a number of your listeners can get in touch with this, when you become a caregiver for a spouse or a partner, life partner, it's almost like two relationships in one. Uh, you have, you know, the, the relationship that 
the longstanding relationship that's been there for years, and then all of a sudden a new relationship develops, this caregiving relationship that takes the relationship to the next level. And, um, you know, they're, they're not distinct from one another, but, uh, you know, the roles, the, sometimes the roles do change, especially as you get, uh, you get closer to the end of life issues and uh, having to deal with those decisions. It, um, uh, it, for, for us, it, it made the relationship stronger. But, uh, you know, it is a challenge trying to find the boundaries between the two because, again, as I mentioned earlier, you, you have to be, we always have to remember that as in the role of caregiver and as the role of a spouse, we're not the one who's sick. And sometimes our wishes may not be the one, may, may not be the same as, as our partner or our spouse. However, as the caregiver, you need care. I mean, that's that's the biggest problem, as you and I realize, is caregivers not taking care of themselves. Um, I mean, I see people go into nursing homes at a very early point sometimes because the primary caregiver becomes ill um, and they just yes. cannot continue physically to give care anymore. And so... We're often saying to families, we say it to them all the time, you've got to take care of yourself. If you really want to continue caring for this other person, regardless of where they are, then you have to invest in taking care of yourself. It's so important. Um, And you had a great suggestion in your book that I had never seen before. You talk about doing a personal plan of care. You share that with us. Yes, I, I think it's real important for caregivers, and I I will admit I I I'm at fault. I you know I didn't take as much I didn't take as good a care of myself as I could have, but I think it's important for caregivers to have their own care plan. You know, as we as we engage home health and all these other professions to professionals to kind of help us in our caregiving journey. There's always they're always making a care plan for. For our for our caree, why not a care plan for the caregiver? It could be as simple as setting an intention, a daily intention for ourselves, whether that's uh, meditation or reading or or walking. Just making a plan that you're going to do something for yourself that's dedicated solely for you is, is so important to our to not only our physical health but our mental health too, as we as we go on these uh, caregiving journeys. Yeah, but you know, it's so hard. I, I work with people all the time, and I was at fault, too. When I, when my mother was living in my home after her stroke, and, and I was her primary caregiver, you know, and I should know better, all right? Right. All right, but it was so difficult because you're trying, for many of us, we're trying to work um, plus, we may have children or grandchildren to take care of. Then you're you're taking care of another person. Um, it's very. I think people feel as though it's hard to justify taking care of yourself. They feel guilty. They they feel as though they shouldn't. It, I, I don't know, Chris. How do you help people get over that hump? To- I, I, yeah, it, and it's you know it's difficult. You feel you know I I kind of use the, the the term that I, I had to come to realization that my caregiving cape. Just couldn't fix everything, 
<laughs> I love that. All right, <laughs> but, you know, Chris, <laughs> we could give you a big cape with a C, a big C. Yeah, on a big we, cape. Yeah, right, it would stand for Chris and stand for caregiving. <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> oh, I think we got a whole marketing plan. Oh, that's now. right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it, it does come down to that because all of a sudden you think you get to the point where you, you say to yourself, well, I'm the only one that can take care of him. And if I'm not around, something's going to happen. It, you know, it's all these it's all these tricks these mind, that your mind plays on you. And when you when it comes right down to it, and and I have the best example from from Richard the the person that you are taking care of is keenly aware that it's stressful to you they may not be able to articulate it they may not be able to tell you but they're aware and they want you to take better care of them of yourself because they know that when you're taking better care of yourself they're going to be okay uh you know that's getting a- to that point is it's difficult for us as caregivers. That's why it's so important for all of us to be talking about it. You know, it's a very interesting perspective, Chris, because I I guess when you look at it from the person who you're caregiving for, from their perspective, you know, they might feel less guilty and less burdensome themselves on you as their caregiver because you are taking a little bit of time for yourself. I mean, people ordinarily don't like to always be the recipient of the care, you know, then they take, take, take. So actually, it's an interesting perspective. They might actually feel as though, you know, it might make them feel better that you were taking care of yourself a little bit. Very much so. I I know that the, the person who was insisting that I take better care of myself was the person I took care of. And, um, you know, I I was more concerned about his health than my health, and we've got to find that proper balance. Let's talk. And it's hard. It is hard. You're right. Let, let's talk a little bit about work because I was just talking about the difficulty of trying to care for people and work at the same time. I, I mean, were you working when you were taking care of Richard? I, I think you were, weren't you? I, I was working full-time at a social service agency, and uh, thankfully I was working for somebody that understood what was going on at the home. I never had to worry about uh, losing my job, but uh, you know, it was very stressful, and there's a whole other side of stress when you're, when you're working, when you're working full-time and you're the full-time caregiver as well, and, and you know, trying to find trying to find good help in the home, somebody that you can trust. Um, you know, it, it is a daunting task. Uh, that's why it's it's so important to, to create a care team because, you know, again, I'm going back to my caregiving cape. I can't be there 24-7. But when you can create a care team, you've got, uh, you know, a friend or a neighbor or if you're hiring a home health care agency, you, you know, you, you kind of share the care. And... Um, uh, for those stubborn caregivers who think they can do it all by themselves, and I was one of them, uh, you, you get you finally get to the point where you realize that you just can't do this at all. You, you can't you can't be successful at work. You can't be successful as a caregiver. You can't be successful in your own life if you're not setting a setting a priority uh, and creating creating boundaries and creating a care team that can help you 
help the person that you're caring for. You know, when I first brought my mother home from the uh, the rehab center after her stroke, she was aphasic, which meant she could not talk, um, and she was um, paralyzed on one side. Um, and so she needed a lot of care. But my primary concern, what bothered me a lot, was her being aphasic. So for the first two nights or three nights, I bas- I slept in a chair by her bedside because I was really worried that she would need something and she would have no way of communicating with us. Um, so I was working full time, sleeping in a recliner next to her bed. And, and by the third night, my husband said, it's enough. It's enough already. You're exhausted. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to keep doing this. This is just right. not going to work. And so we're going to get an, an agency in here. I don't care if you do it 11 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning or 8 in the morning. You're right in the house. If they need anything, they'll come and get you. But you cannot continue to do this. Um, and he was right. And so sometimes it takes someone else saying to you, it's enough. You know, you can't continue to do this anymore. And some- Oh, goodness. Yes. <laughs> you, you, really, you really bring some memories back for me. Yeah, that, that is so true. You have, to, you have to have that objective third person in there to tell you. And, and sometimes, to- you're right, sometimes that's other people's role is to kind of say, it's enough, you know? Um, you can't continue to do this anymore. So, and, and that realization, uh, while it's needed, is is sometimes hard to accept. But it's it's so important to have somebody somebody to say that to you, whether it's your you know your spouse or you know whatever the caregiving situation, somebody that that trusts and loves you. And uh, obviously, your you know your your husband was looking out for your best interest as well. Right. Chris, do you have any last thoughts or experiences that you'd like to share with us? Well, a couple of a couple of things, Doctor. I I I, I firmly believe and that it that it is an honor to be a caregiver, to um, to be entrusted with the care of someone else is one of the greatest gifts that can be given to us. But with that, we really have to be mindful of taking care of ourselves too, and I. And I think it's so important for caregivers to be a healthy caregiver by setting an, setting a daily intention for themselves, so that um, you know they can get through their care, caregiving day. I I agree with you, um, and I think that we have to pay attention to people after um, someone passes um, as carefully and as closely as we do when the person they're caring for. Uh, is still with us. I was I was having a conversation this morning with someone who was telling me that her mother um, passed away uh, a few weeks ago. We were actually talking about her father. Um, and her father is very independent, still lives in his own home, but he went to the nursing home every day to spend time with his wife. Um, and now he's lost. He's really lost. Right. Um, he mm-hmm. retired years ago. He no longer is going to the nursing home every day because she's passed. And um, I said to her, this is a high-risk time. Um, and we talked about some solutions mm-hmm. for him. Um, so I think there's a tendency that once someone passes that other people say, oh, well, it's okay now. and We don't have to be as concerned about the caregiver. But I, I don't think that's so. 
Oh, we are we are on the same page one hundred percent. I, um, you know, I, I look at life after caregiving as being much different uh, as life during caregiving. You know, we and you mentioned it a little bit earlier. You know, all the you know, there's two relationships that ended when Richard when Richard passed away, and uh, there's just a whole segment of people who are in after caregiving that. Um, and I, I say this very kindly, it, 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 it's not that they're left by the wayside. It's just where do you find your place? Um, I, um, I, I, I'm concerned about that myself with, with folks, and I, I find myself talking more about what life is like after caregiving. Because I, and I say this very kindly, doctor, there, there's, a, there's, a part of, there's two things in caregiving that are, that are common across the board. Is that ninth? We're we're never prepared when caregiving happens because it it just happens, and we're never prepared when it ends because we just don't realize that it's going to. And um, our life goes on after caregiving ends, but it's different. And uh, there's a there's a whole. If there's 45 million family caregivers out in the United States today. There's just as many of those who are in after caregiving, and what are we doing for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very important point, and I think something that we have to keep in mind, not only for others but uh, for ourselves. I, I have a friend who um, says she realized after she lost her husband that the world, in her words, is like Noah's Ark. Everything is in twos, um, and suddenly you're a one. And, you know, you don't get invited to certain things anymore and um, life changes because suddenly you're a one and not a two anymore. Exactly. Uh, And sometimes people, uh, sometimes those twos don't know what to say to those ones. And what they do is end up not saying anything. Mm -hmm. And I I think I'd be happy to partner on you with this. I think we, we should be talking to those twos on how. How they can, how they can communicate with the one and and be inclusive of the one. All right, Chris, you got a deal, and I want a cape, by the way. So if I'm going, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm, I'm getting purple. I just have to have purple. So that's okay. So you can have any, you can have any color you want. You just, but let's do those capes. I think it's, I think it'd be fun. I think it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Chris, thank you so much. Um, give us your contact information. Tell us again the title of your book, your blog, your radio show, everything. Well, you can, uh, real easy, just go to my, my, my blog, thepurplejacket.com. You'll see all the information on my show, Healing Ties. And you'll see the information on my book, What's the Deal with Caregiving. It's available on uh, Amazon. And my new website uh, will be up on uh, Monday, The Bowtie Guy. So, you know, there's a lot of great things going on. Great. Once again, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your ideas. Um, I, I think it really means a lot to people. So thank you so much for doing what you do. My pleasure, Doctor. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you, Chris. I have said this before, but let me just be a nag. Yeah, I'm going to nag you. What the heck? Because as a caregiver, the most important responsibility you have is to take care of yourself. I have seen many seniors in our nursing homes because their family caregivers become physically ill 
they are merely worn out and they cannot continue to care for that person. Your goal today is to write a personal plan of care, just like Chris and I talked about during the show. Even if it's just a draft, it doesn't matter. Take a few minutes and just write it down. Visit our site on Web Talk Radio and listen to an earlier show, The Gift of Maybe. This approach to life's difficulties, I think, will give you the strength you need to write that personal plan of care. When you're done, send it to me at drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. If you don't wish me to share your plan with anyone else, simply state that at the top. It's okay. However, I would love to have the opportunity to share thoughts with you. And by the way, while I'm nagging, remember to write down the list of errands and tasks that you need done and that would help you. In this way, you will be prepared when someone asks, is there anything I can do to help? You're going to have an answer. Enough nagging. It's okay. Personal plan of care and your help list, it will help. It will make a difference for you. This is Dr. Merrill. Just do it.